You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. What is guilt? Guilt is how we feel in response to something that we have done that we wished we hadn't, right? So we all know, we're all pretty familiar with guilt. Um, similarly, regret, for the purpose of, of this sermon and definition, is how we feel in response to something that we wished we had done but did not do, or if we wanted to do something differently that we did. So guilt is this feeling of, of remorse, of regret, of sadness, of anger in response to an action that we've done. And likewise, regret is, is the absence of the action that we wish we had done. For the most part, everyone has felt one or both of these emotions. Like, we can all think back to things that have made us feel guilty. Um, And I also want to say that guilt is different than shame. Next week, we're going to talk about shame. But the key difference is this. Guilt and regret are centered on actions. That we did something wrong to hurt something or hurt someone. Or we left something undone that we thought would have been good. Where guilt and regret are centered on actions, shame is centered on identity. Shame says, uh, I am bad. Where guilt says, I did a bad thing, shame says, I am a bad thing. So that's the, that's the difference, the working difference in uh, psychology that we'll use for the purpose of, of these sermons. So with that in mind, have you ever felt guilty, not ashamed, but, or, or not full of shame, but, but guilty? And when I reflect on 2019, it's May, um, I think I've apologized more this year than I have in any year prior. And I, I'm not saying that to brag, I'm saying that I've done more bad things that I felt guilty about than any year prior. Just last week, I received a text message, and my gut response was anger. And I want to say frustration, but I was angry. That's just the euphemism for what I actually felt. And with that anger, I responded immediately to the text message. Needless to say, that was not a good thing. (laughs) I almost always feel guilty when that sort of thing happens. This was no exception. I was first angry, so I responded in anger, and then I felt guilty. I I didn't feel like I was a bad person. I didn't feel shame, but I felt I wish I hadn't done that. I apologized within the hour. So maybe some of you have this, this experience with guilt, a similar scenario that you're thinking of, or maybe you're thinking of something that you regret, right? a situation where you wish you had done something differently or done something when you did nothing. And so for me, I regret uh, not pursuing a deeper relationship with my grandparents who passed away in, in the spring of 2017. I think about what should have been said, what could have been cultivated in the relationship, um, the depth there, the conversations, and I think that there was something lost. Some of us are fully aware of the guilt in our lives. In fact, some of us think back to those situations of guilt and cringe daily, or at least often. But there's a challenge here because our culture doesn't necessarily, and I'm talking about American Western culture, 
we don't necessarily like to think of ourselves as guilty, right? Our whole justice system is built on the premise that we are innocent until proven A+. plus. But, like, uh, I think this is why, and I heard a story recently, uh, a pastor at our sister, one of our sister churches, Sojourn Heights, when they became a believer, somebody told them, um, don't you feel, doesn't it feel good to know that you have that you, you're guilty. And the pastor's response was, guilty of not, I've, I haven't done anything to be guilty of. Right? I, our culture, for the most part, doesn't have strong grasp on actions that we've done to be guilty, but I do think our culture has a better grasp on shame, and we're going to get to that next week. I think our culture would be hard-pressed uh, to point to a lot of things that they have done wrong, that they would say, I've done that wrong, I've done this poorly, or that I, I've left undone, right? Our um, a common mantra is no regrets, no regrets. But I think that's a lie, right? Like, make no mistake, I think guilt is there in all of us, and we can bury it down as far as we can. We can try and drown it with alcohol. We can try and drown it with overworking. We can try and drown it with any kind of overconsumption, right? But, but guilt and regret are down there somewhere. A lot of the time, they come to the surface as anger or anxiety, and certainly shame. And so, I think for the most part with guilt, there are two camps. There are those of us who are fully aware of our guilt, of what we've done that's bad. And then there are some of us who are not aware at all of our guilt. There's, we can't really point to a lot of things we've done that, that are bad, even though we might feel bad. Regardless of where you are with guilt and regret, I, I think Psalm 51 has something for you. So before we read, let's explore the context, right? The subtitle was up there right before, we, right before we read it, and it said this, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So the author of this psalm is a man named David, who is a historic and revered king of Israel. He's God's chosen man to become king of the nation of Israel, God's people. And here's the story that this psalm is talking about. David, who is king, appointed by God, is on his roof, and he sees a young woman named Bathsheba, Bathsheba bathing, and he finds her beautiful, and he also learns that she is married to a man named Uriah, and he just kind of pushes that information to the side. And he sins for this woman, Bathsheba, and he sleeps with her. And she becomes pregnant from the encounter. And from there, David realizes that he needs to cover his tracks. And he, he tries a couple of things, but ultimately he ends up killing her husband, murdering Uriah for the sins that he had committed. This is what David has done. He has, um, he has taken a woman that was not his that he has no right to in any way, abused her, impregnated her, and killed her husband. And we, we actually aren't really sure from the narrative if he feels guilty or not. He thinks he got away with it, right? He, he kills Uriah, and he thinks, 
I think I got away with this. I think everything's okay. But then this situation happens. A man named Nathan comes to David, and this is what happens in Psalm 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him this. This is the story that Nathan tells David. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a beloved daughter to him. And now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And so David hears this scenario, and this is what happens. David's anger is kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then the great turn of this story is this verse in verse 7. Nathan says to David, You are the man. Not, you're the man, but you are the man. David's anger, I, I believe David's anger in this moment cripples to guilt. You are found guilty and you've pronounced yourself guilty in this scenario. Right? The lamb, in the, in the story, the lamb in the metaphor is Bathsheba, who David took. This is a terrible moment for David. His guilt becomes apparent. He is guilty. He is not innocent. He has been found out. And he's been found out guilty. Right? His own anger burned against himself first. His own anger burned against himself first. And then in this you are the man moment, the guilt becomes unbearable, and that's exactly when this psalm is prayed and sung, right? That's what the, the historic account that, that the subtitle gives us is that this is when, when Nathan came to David, this is the psalm that erupted from David's mouth. Let's see what he says. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, my, my wrongdoing. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. But against you, you only have I sinned and done evil what is in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I have been brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So let's stop there. I think we need to consider David's response. It's profound. I think there probably is a twinge of anger at himself. There's probably a twinge of, of guilt still here, but he doesn't turn to self-loathing. Instead, he, he becomes self-aware. He has full awareness of what he has done. 
He says, you, you delight in the truth of my inward being. The truth of who I am is before you. And he asks God to blot out his actions, his sins. He prays for forgiveness. And more than forgiveness, he prays to, he prays to be fully clean and fully righteous. And I think we should see that David's honesty before God about who he is is part of this process of healing for him. He's self-aware. He's honest. This is what I've done. I will never forget it. And more than that, you know all things, God, and only you can clean clean me from sin. But you know that I'm guilty. Some of us are painfully aware of our sin. We're painfully aware of the things we're guilty of. We they're ever before us, just like the psalm says, our, our guilt and our sin, we think about it every day, and it's, it's all we can do to go to work or to grab a drink or to watch Netflix or whatever, it's just to drown out the thinking of the bad things we've done. But your self-awareness doesn't do any good if all it leads to is, is self-loathing, to shame. Self-awareness of who we are and what we've done is good, but only when it leads us to praise like this, like good guilt. In Christian circles, you've probably heard this called conviction. The Holy Spirit convicted me of something I've done wrong. And I want to say that that is righteous and holy guilt, guilt that doesn't lead us to despair, doesn't lead us to hate ourselves, but leads us to worship God. Like conviction is when God sends His Spirit to us, and His Spirit in our being, the truth in our being, is spoken to us by God Himself of this is what you've done. And the way forward is, is to come to Him in honesty. Come to Him in honesty and awareness, and in response to who we are and who God is. This is what David does. He explodes in praise. He explodes in, in praise, but he also explodes in petition that, that God would clean him, that God would change him. But what, like, what are we praising God for? If that's what we should do, what are we praising Him for, right? What is, when we have good, right, and holy regret, conviction that leads us to praise God, what do we praise Him for? Let's, let's continue reading in verse 7 of the psalm. It says this, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing your righteousness. 
Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So David continues the prayer and the worship of God by asking for purification. He prays that God would purify him with hyssop or to make him white as snow as opposed to being stained with blood. That his, that his broken bones would rejoice. That God would actually forget his wrongdoings, not only forgive him, but forget them, and that David would be renewed. So, the question I asked before I read that is, how, how can we praise? What are we praising God for? How can this renewal take place? How can purification take place? How can righteousness take place? And the key of the psalm is this, that David is unable to accomplish purification on his own. David is unable to renew his spirit on his own. And when we celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, that's what we were celebrating. We celebrate what God did. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, who lives a perfect life a life free from sin and therefore free of guilt and free of regret. But then Jesus does something we don't expect with that perfect life. He goes to the cross and he's, he's killed. But this is part of the plan. He's punished there not, not for anything random. He's punished there for our sin, for the things we are guilty of the things we should feel guilty about or the things we feel way too guilty about. Those are the things, those are the sins that Christ has placed on him on the cross. And so for those of us who trust in Jesus, whether we felt guilty about whatever situation or whatever action, whether we've regretted whatever situation or whatever action, when we come with holy guilt, it causes us to praise because we're reminded and remembering what God did, who he placed those actions on, himself, Jesus. And so, instead of self-loathing, like I tend to do, instead of replaying the situation in a loop, on, my, on a loop in my head, in the shower, in the car, Right? I need to be self-aware and trust that that action is dead on Jesus on the cross. That he bore that action on the cross. This is how we are purified. This is how we are washed clean. And this is how God forgets our sins. Because they are punished. The guilty are found innocent because the innocent one was found guilty. Now, Jesus didn't have any actions to be guilty of, let's be clear. But he takes our actions, frees us from guilt by dying on a cross. So when we come to Jesus, we come as broken people with the acknowledgement that we are guilty but a guiltless one took our place. For David, 
Self-awareness leads to honesty, not avoidance. This is who I am, God. I worship you because you have purified me. For us, self-awareness should lead to honesty, not avoidance. This is who I am. This is what I've done, and you have purified me. What I have done is dead and forgotten by the God of the universe. So not only do we worship God for what happened on the cross, we also worship him for what will happen when he returns. That's the celebration of Easter, that Jesus rose from the dead. After taking the punishment for sin on the cross, he rose in victory over those death penalty sins. And when he walks out of the tomb, that for us means that we too will walk out of our own tombs one day when he returns. And the tension is this. There's a tension here that we are currently being renewed. You are in the process of renewal. But when Jesus rose, it paved the way for us to be currently in a process of renewal and approaching a process of full righteousness. So reality is a day is coming where we will raise, where our broken bones, like the psalmist says, will rejoice because we will raise in full righteousness, truly without any stain of sin or guilt because of what Jesus has done. This is what the resurrection means for us who believe in Jesus, that that he is God and he has paid for our sins and that in his rising we will rise sinless. So, what does this mean for us this week? Excuse me. First, for those of us who believe that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did, for those of us who are Christians, you should know that anything you might feel guilty of right now, the thing you're thinking of, is nailed to the cross. whether it was something you said or something you did or something you wish you said or something you wish you did, Jesus bore it on the cross. For those in him, we have been washed clean. So when we come and eat the bread and drink the wine here in a moment, we do so to remember that Blood was shed and a body was broken to make us not guilty before God. It's the opposite of our justice system. We were guilty until Jesus proved us innocent. And we should know that the resurrection for us is proof that this has been fully paid. That our, the verdict on our lives has been fully paid by God. Fully paid means fully paid. It is finished means it is finished. Your sin has been paid for if you're in Christ. And you should know this too, that the Father does not regret the payment of His Son. Jesus does not regret dying for your sin. The Spirit does not regret calling you to Himself. 
for those in, in Him, whatever you've done or will do, if you are in Christ as a follower, God does not regret you. And we, as a church family, as His bride, we don't regret you either. You're not a regrettable member of this family. So second, we should let our self-awareness lead us to honesty, not avoidance, not self-loathing. Some of us, like I said, are, are so self-aware that our guilt is always beforeness, and we need to let that, that guilt lead us to a holy place of honesty, openness in our family, in our community, and before God. Right? Don't let it lead you to self-loathing. Let it lead you to worship. Worship for who Jesus is and what he has done. Right? Like, I, I think a lot of the Christian life, we talk about this in our membership class too, is um, we grow in awareness of our sinfulness while simultaneously growing in our awareness of God's grace that covered that sinfulness. It's part of our life. And if we ever get to a place where we think our sin is too big for Jesus' cross, we are belittling the payment, and we don't get to do that. So don't let our sin lead us to self-loathing. Let it lead us to worship. And others, others of us might not be self-aware, right? Like instead of of feeling guilty every day or, or regularly at least, we feel like we're, we're not aware of really what we've done that's wrong or we don't feel like there's a lot that we've done that we can point to to say, well, I, I, I'm guilty of that. Well, if you're a believer and that's your station, I think you should pray with your community for self-awareness, but not self-loathing, right? You can pray this psalm and worship the Lord and pray that He would reveal sin in your life, but not so you can have a pity party, not so you can hate yourself, but so you might realize the bigness of our God and how much He accomplished on your behalf so you could worship. And if you aren't a believer in the room, and maybe you don't feel like there's anything to be guilty of, I want to invite you in, not so we can expose your sin to you, not so we can kind of look at your life and say, oh, yep, that's a sin, you should feel guilty of that, but so we can show you how good Jesus is, that he is in the business of purifying and making us righteous, that he loves you, and he wants you to be part of his family that he desires that you would rely on him and depend on him because it's the best thing for your soul eternally. And he invites you to be honest, to be self-aware, to be fully aware of who you are and to not despair but to rest. And the final thing I want to leave us with is the way David ends his psalm is this in verse 18. He asks God, this. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Jesus is, or David's parting words are 
do good to the people of God. David's self-awareness leads to honesty before God, leads to holy guilt. And this is the result. He ends the psalm praying for others. He ends the psalm hoping for others. The result of the abundant grace we find in Jesus is to hope that others would experience it as well, right? So the the call for us is that we would pray for those around us, that we would teach others the ways of Jesus, and that we would hope for his salvation to find them in our neighborhood, in our city. Personal, your, your personal failures, my personal failures can lead to personal honesty, and it can lead to self-awareness, which can lead to praise of a gracious God, which can lead us to hope for ourselves, which will lead us to hope for one another. This is the beautiful picture of gospel transformation that guilt could lead to hope. So that's my prayer for us this morning, that our guilt would lead us to hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we we love you. You are bigger than we can fathom. Jesus, you you have died for more than we're aware of. Lord, I pray that all my days on earth before I die or before you return, would you expose sin in me, not so I would self-despair, not so I would self-loathe, but so I would worship you for how big you are, for how much you covered on the cross and how much you rose in victory over. And Lord, would that lead me and us communally as a church to a place of hope, hope for ourselves, hope for others that they too might experience your salvation and goodness. Lord, we know you will do it because you've said you will. We know the people that you want to forgive are in our neighborhoods and in our city, and we repent for not reaching them with the good eternal news of your salvation that makes us pure. Lord, would you lead us from our guilt not to a place of hate, of ourselves, of shame, of despair, but to hope for ourselves, hope for our brothers and sisters in the church, and hope that our neighbors might see your goodness and your love. Far be it from us to be a place that that runs to our neighbors to tell them how sinful they are before we run to them and tell them how loved they are. Lord, you love them. You make us perfect. Would that be the theme of our song? Thy free grace alone, your free grace alone is the theme of our song, like we, like we sang, like we prayed. And would it be the joy of our heart and the boast of our tongue? What we what we proclaim to the people we love and meet in our neighborhood. So would you deal with our guilt appropriately? 
And will we come to you with hope? We pray all this in your name.